This is the Revolution Leadership Podcast. My name is Chris and I'm your host. And here we believe that everything ultimately rises and falls on leadership. Here we're going to be sharing with you time-tested principles, giving you practical examples, and sharing relevant stories in order to equip you to lead wherever you are. Welcome to the show. Well, welcome to the Revolution Leadership Podcast. My name is Chris. I am your host, and we are here with Mr. Joe Couch for episode number one. And Joe, we are super excited that you are here. Thanks for being here. Uh, Just a little bit about what I do. Um, I work for Revolution 5 Leadership, and uh, I am passionate about building leaders and equipping them to lead wherever they go. Um, And that's part of what this podcast is about, is really about um, equipping everyday leaders, leaders at the, you know, highest echelon and leaders maybe you know as a janitor or whatever but in any any sphere of society equipping those leaders where they're at um, and I'm very passionate about that so I work with Revolution 5 leadership um, kind of in the area of business development so I do a lot of our uh, manage a lot of our relationships with our donors and local businesses and that kind of thing so uh, love what I do and I have the pleasure of uh, being with Mr. Joe Couch who is the executive director of Revolution 5 leadership so Joe, we'd love to hear a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Um, I'm obviously Joe Couch. My wife and I had the wonderful privilege of founding Revolution 5 back in 2011 and have had the, the privilege, again, of, of leading it over the last 10 years um, as we've had some phenomenal students come through, uh, now alumni and amazing staff along the way. So so our, our whole dream and goal was to find the highest concentrated incubator, if you will, or context to train leaders in. Mm-hmm. As we went back to scripture, counseled with a lot of older mentors and, and just some, some wise people around us, we realized that the, the the hottest space to develop people is in a family. You'll never find a more concentrated, potent environment than in a family. Mm-hmm. Secondly, we realized that you don't have to be a mile wide, you can be a mile deep. And Jesus didn't train the masses, he commissioned 12. Mm-hmm. And so I think we began to realize that if we stayed close to family, we would stay close to kingdom. If we navigated away from camp family, we would navigate away from kingdom. Mm-hmm. So creating a family context where we could train few leaders at a time could potentially produce one of the more potent contexts for developing people. So that has become what is today five, ten years down the road. And we absolutely love doing what we're doing. So we're training young leaders to make a significant difference in the culture today and tomorrow mm-hmm. for the kingdom of God. Wow. It's awesome, and yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be working alongside you in doing that because uh, I, I don't think it's easy to find um, a place uh, that emphasizes leadership in all the ways that you do um, to the level that you Thank do. You. So it is a joy to be working alongside with you. So um, yeah, I'd love to hear, uh, obviously being a leadership-focused institute, um, I'm sure you have a plethora of stories regarding leadership and some that inspire you or some that you've learned from or whatever. Could you share maybe a couple of those with our audience? Yeah, yeah. Uh, See, that, that always comes to mind right at the top. It's just, there's a moment where Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And it's kind of an area where uh, it might be, the, it might be the, the Google or the who's who area in terms of finding out politically who's in power, who's doing what. And so it's in that place, in that context, where Jesus turns around to disciples and he goes, who do people say that I am? Hmm. And they throw out some answers, you're this, you're that, you're whatever. And he, he kind of zooms in and he goes, who do you believe that I am? And I think it's one of those moments that Tozer talks about. What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Hmm. And so Jesus turns and he goes, you tell me 
who you believe that I am. And of course, we know the story. Peter steps up and he goes, you're the Christ, son of the living God. And obviously, he turns right around in response to Peter's right acknowledgement or revelation of who he is. And he goes, flesh and blood haven't revealed this to you. My father is in heaven. And then he says, and you are Peter. And in a sense, he names him or maybe renames him or Mm. brings a richer understanding. And he says, you're Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. As soon as Peter has a right understanding revelation of Jesus, Jesus turns right back around and says, now let me tell you who you are. Mm. Wow. I believe everything that in leadership comes down to this, this sense of knowing who you are as an individual. It comes down to identity because who you are determines what you do, mm-hmm. never the other way around. Whether you're talking about culture at large or even from a biblical perspective, the enemy wants you to believe that you are what you've done, mm-hmm. some total. We call them orphan leaders. They'll tell you all the stuff that they're doing all the time because they need you to be impressed with what they've done. Mm-hmm. And in the kingdom of Jesus, you see the reverse where from the very beginning of his ministry, when he's being baptized, you hear the Lord kind of reach over the balcony of heaven and say, that's my son with whom I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't done any miracles, hasn't multiplied bread, he hasn't done anything. He's proud of him because of who he is. And out of that place, we see him go on in three and a half years, do miracles and tell stories that have changed the world to this day. Mm-hmm. So I think that concept of, of identity is, is probably paramount. But Maybe something from uh, a little further down the, the pages of history, a couple hundred years go forward. Uh, Alexander the Great is, is one of my favorite figures from history. And Alexander the Great's army um, was uh, so powerful and so successful that the men in his army were honored to call themselves by his name. So obviously uh, his army, as they made their way a- across, across the continent, um, they were, they, were, they were so successful that at the age, by the age of 30, uh, Alexander the Great, quote, wept for there were no more known lands to conquer. Pretty good resume. Hmm. Wow. And so his, his men were so proud to be called um, by his name, be a, part of his, be a part of his army. So if you asked any of them on a given day, what's your name? They would simply reply, my name is Alexander. Hmm. So one of the things that made the army so successful is that they fought shoulder to shoulder in such a way they could advance a line. And if you ever dropped from that line, you would expose the comrades to the right and left to danger onslaught of the, of the enemy. So the strategy was that if you make a line and you stay together, you can push geographic space, you can move people, and of course, ultimately defeat the other army. Huh. So during this one battle, Alexander the Great um, was, was charging, leading into um, fighting got really fierce, and a young man um, fled from the battle line. So it was so important to stay together that if anybody ever fled from the battle line, it was automatic death, basically because you would expose the people to your left and right. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the army went on to win that battle, and the young man was actually found, and they were brought back, or he was brought back in front of Alexander the Great. And Alexander said, son, what's your name? And the young man replied, my name is Alexander. And Alexander looked at him again, he said, son, what's your name? And again, the young man, you could tell, just, just, just uh, shaking, just nervous, scared. Again, he responds, you know, my name is Alexander. And a third time, Alexander says, son, what is your name? And a third time, filled with shame, condemnation, you can hear the, the tension in the story, and he just says, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great looked at him and he said, son, either change your name or fight like an Alexandrian. Hmm. And I think this idea of, of bearing the name, of 
the, 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 the confidence and the weight that the identity carries in the context. He's saying, if you're going to call yourself Alexandrian, this is what we do. If this is who you are, this is what we do. And, and obviously, we're coming from a, from a faith-based context here. And I think with millions of young Christian leaders across the globe, and I believe many coming into that space in our own country, I think we, in a like honor, take on the name of our superior leader who is far greater resume and success than any other person that ever touched the, the planet. Mm. We say, I want to be Christian. I want to take on your name. And I think, I think we're standing in a place um, where Jesus is looking at leaders and saying, either change your name or live for the purposes in the way that I've called you to live. Mm. So a very potent space. I think when you zoom all the way out, you wrap it up. Clearly, identity has a central place in understanding leadership and what we do. Mm. Wow. It's inspiring. Um, so the name of the organization that you lead is called Revolution 5 Leadership. Can you tell us a little bit about what the name means, where that comes yeah. from? Because I think the term revolution is can mean a lot of different things, especially yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to know kind of some of the history behind that name, uh, what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the story goes back a little more than 10 years ago, but a uh, shortened version. Um, before we actually launched the school, um, Annalise, uh, kind of in a dream scenario, believed that the Lord gave her this word. She just saw the word revolution. And when we were asking the Lord, who, who are we as an organization? What's your primary purpose and objective for us? And this word revolution, we, just, we couldn't get away from it. We knew it had some positive, some negative ties to it, but didn't really know what to do with it, but just knew there was a massive significant change on the landscape of this generation that was going to take place. Mm. And so over the course of the next couple of days, the second piece came into, into focus that was five, and five refers to Matthew 5. So Matthew 5 is Jesus' teaching, Sermon on the Mount, and he's describing all these upside-down paradigms of his kingdom. Hmm. He's saying, this is the kingdom I'm advancing. It's, it's actually where the first are going to be last. It's actually where the meek are going to inherit the earth. And he goes through all these upside-down paradigms where his kingdom is the exact opposite of the paradigm of this world. And so when you, when you zoom out and you look at the scenario, you go, Jesus wasn't coming for a financial revolution, a social revolution, a political revolution. He was coming for a revolution of the heart according to the Matthew 5 paradigms mm -hmm. that he lays out as his kingdom. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the next upcoming generation or the current generation. Um, tell me a little bit about that. What's, uh, what role does Rev 5 have to play in the next generation and how, maybe how, how what are some of the differences that you see in um, either the current generation or the upcoming generation or maybe yours or maybe your parents or grandparents generation? What are some of those differences and what are some common threads in leadership that you think apply no matter what generation you're in? Yeah, big, big question, I think. I. I think maybe I would start with when, when you look at the millennials, the Xers, you know, exactly what demographic you're, you're, you're zooming in on. Uh, they catch a bad rap for a lot of reasons. Um, and I also think that historically, if you can pull all the way out and look at patterns in history, they are the last stage in a pattern that has repeated itself five to seven times hmm. in our human history. And 
by many, they are referred to as the hero generation. Hmm. What they do has massive implications to what happens next in culture and globally. Wow. And they have all the earmarks of that generation. Uh, to name a few, they want to live for a cause that's bigger than themselves. Mm. They've seen people chase money, they've seen people chase advantage and power, and they, they, they intuitively don't want those things. They're looking for something bigger than just serving themselves, just a hedonistic existence. Mm. So I think that when you, when you compare to uh, you know, my generation just 20 years ago out of, that, out of that window, or my parents' generation, there are clearer outside enemies that you may have chose or not chose that you wrestle against and those enemies cause you to react in certain ways. Mm. You, know, you can talk about my grandparents' generation, the greatest generation, as Tom broke up with the column, um, you know, that World War II and they're coming out and they understand sacrifice, they understand resistance, they understand um, you know, the nobility of freedom and what it means, the mm. responsibility behind it. You get down to my generation, we're kind of raised in this context that understands some of those things, but we haven't paid many of those prices. Hmm. So the value is a lot less yeah. to us. And you come down to, now we have you know, the millennial exercises ears, and um, they're philosophical ideas, but there's no mooring for those in uh, their experience. Yeah. So I think that, that the, the thing that every human being wants is they fundamentally want to live for a cause bigger than themselves. We mm -hmm. say all the time around about five, every human being wants a cause bigger than themselves to live for. They want it to be worthy of their life and they want a band of brothers and sisters to run with. So what's the salient theme? You can identify it, whether that is in you know my grandparents' generation, my parents, my generation, millennials and Zers. You can identify those same threads all throughout in every human, in every generation, you can see those threads. Mm -hmm. So what's unique and different about this one? They're facing a window of history that is paramount in terms of the decisions that they make have massive implications to this cycle we've seen five to seven times hmm. in world history. If they make decisions consistent with biblical truth and morality, it offers massive blessing to the country and ultimately because of our position globally to the world. Hmm. If they don't, it basically moves into a, a global chaos. It moves into massive disruption around the world. Mm -hmm. And so I think they're primed to want to serve, to make massive contributions to humanity. But if we don't help paint that vision that's out in front of them, it becomes internal, self-absorbed, mm -hmm. and usually becomes the end of that country. Hmm. Yeah, I like what you said at the end, if we don't paint that vision for what's in front of them, which kind of leads me to my next question. You, you said that the previous generations had a mooring to kind of attach to, and I think what you meant by that, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that they had almost like real experience and real sacrifice that yeah. they could tether yeah. um, that uh, that need to, whether it was mm -hmm. going to war or you know being persecuted for something or coming from um, you know somewhere that was in America and yeah. immigrating here, whatever that is. Um, in in a current day and age where um, I mean, I'd probably be included in that in a sense because I'm technically a millennial. Um, where there is no real, I don't know, maybe sacrifice or um, the uh, the the level of uh, dedication that comes from really either giving up your life or uh, really fighting for something that you need. How do you how do you bridge that gap if 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 it needs to be more than just education, mm -hmm. more than intellectual knowledge, how do you bridge the gap without providing an artificial an artificial circumstance or something yeah. that's fake? How do you how do you connect yeah. those dots? Because we live in a generation that's so 
informationally oriented, philosophically oriented, that it's really hard. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I know, I know about responsibility. I know what that means, mm -hmm. but it's not in my physiology. Yeah. How yeah. do you how do you link yeah how do you link that together, Chris? I think I think that is I think that is one of the paramount questions we should be attempting to address and work out, because it's 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 true when 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 you have uh, notable resistance in front of you, you you have an identifiable enemy, but the challenge for millennials, the challenge for Zers, is that it's the it's the frog in the pot. Mm -hmm. You don't not know abortion. You don't not know safety. You don't not know the avid use of social media as a means for relationships. Mm -hmm. You don't not so the context is is difficult because there hasn't necessarily been uh, something else to contrast outside of that. I'm on the tail end of that. I can remember some of those things. And so there's still some contrast in my psyche about what it could or should look like versus how fast it's moving and changing now. Hmm. So I, I believe, this is my conviction, that Jesus says clearly, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, my par people perish for lack of knowledge. Hmm. And that's not the acquisition of information like you might find on Google. Hmm. That's Holy Spirit revelation. Hmm. That's you going, my life is not my own. I understand intuitively by the work of the Holy Spirit, I've surrendered to Jesus, I understand that I am to lay down my life on behalf of other people. I have to use my time, treasure, talent, and best resources to serve somebody else. And so, so I think there is information, but it's not large to kill, give me insane quantities of knowledge. I think it's certain information. Hmm. I think it's fundamental understanding of life and death of the gospel of laying down sin and raising up in righteousness, being buried with Christ, all those kind of things. I think when that truth begins to be used as a lens to interpret what's happening in culture, huh. I think it evokes this sense of urgency. It evokes this sense of, of, of nobility that is the spirit of God inside of a person. Huh. So if you just go, hey, the only thing we learn from history repeating itself is we don't learn from history repeating itself, everybody yawns and we move on uh -huh. and we don't really think there's some impending crisis. When the Spirit of God begins to reveal truth in you from Scripture, and now you use that to look at what's happening in culture, all of a sudden it evokes hmm. a right response that out of that is out of alignment with the created order. And as a leader, it's my job to step into chaos and to bring order. Hmm. So, for example, Chris, we had we had a class a couple of days ago. We were looking hmm. at some of the the civic roles of a Christian in society, and that's a hot topic. That's hard to navigate yeah. well. Yeah. There there are ardent opinions on both sides. And as we presented several ideas to students, it's, it was amazing because the, 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 the post-debriefing you know, with, with, with students, many said this. They said, I've never cared about politics. I don't want anything to do with politics. I don't, I don't, I've heard anger and rage. I just want to back out and not have any voice in it. They said, having gone through these last couple of days, I understand the significance of me having a, a voice on behalf of those mm. who have no voice. Well, in other words, that's something that's native to the gospel and the Christian experience. Hmm. That's not something that exists in human nature. Hmm. And so how do we help get that into millennials, Zers? Uh, I think there is information that is necessary, most forthright from the scriptures, and then you use that to interpret what's happening in society. And when you do that well, I think it evokes a right response in a millennial, which is why I think in some ways... We are teed up to experience a massive movement of God in millennials mm. and Zers. Yeah. For those that are getting the lens, they're now interpreting culture, and that unleashes them to begin to move in cadence with what the Holy Spirit's doing. Wow. All right. So, so for someone who's listening to this, 
who might be leadership oriented or they understand the importance of leadership, but they maybe don't follow any particular religion or have a religious bent or uh, what, or maybe they follow a religion that is not Christian. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them um, regarding leadership through the context of maybe like a kingdom lens or mm-hmm. something like that? Is there, uh, what would, I'm just curious, what would your thoughts be about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I'll say this, Chris. Um, I've had the privilege intermittently over the years to work with non-faith-based organizations and to offer them some valuable tools. Hmm. I think from my worldview, it's God's world. And when you do things according to His ways, you produce the results that He wants to see produced. Martin Luther King said, only when the laws of man come into alignment with the laws of God can there be peace. Hmm. So, so I, think, I think from that worldview, you can apply truth from his perspective, i.e. for us that would be scriptures. You can apply truth from his perspective and you can see certain results from that truth. So we could go through the Proverbs or Deuteronomy or a book like that and we could find all sorts of treat your fellow man this way because when you do, the outcome will be this. Mm. Here's how you deal with a servant. Here's how you deal with a hired hand. Here's how you do uh, leadership. Here's how you, we could, mm. we, could, we could follow those things. And to whatever extent that we do, we can see fruit in those things. I don't believe there is the same capacity to unleash the Spirit in a man without the Spirit of God. So can you? Yes, you can do some incredible things. You can manage well. Um, I think the big difference is that deep-seated peace satisfying. You can hear some movers and shakers historically and around the world that are doing some pretty great things and are still missing that last peace that doesn't close inside of them. Uh, because ultimately, Jesus is the last piece. He's the mm-hmm. beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. So you can do phenomenal things in leadership. Um, I don't know that you can unleash that satisfaction and peace that is really reserved for somebody who has surrendered to Jesus and says, yes, I actually want what you have. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a, that's a, a heady, hard challenge without any shadow of a doubt. I think at the minimum, knowing that people want a cause bigger than themselves, they want it to be worthy of laying down their lives, and that's where you have to convince them of that, that it is, or that they have to see it. And if you take it out of a faith context, that's a, you know, it's, a it's a much different journey. Hmm. Um, and then finally, the Band of Brothers to run with. Those things are salient no matter who you are, where you are. You can see them in movements like Mahatma Gandhi. You can see them in the Civil Rights Movement. You can also see them in a Nazi regime. Right. You can also see them in you know, the, the rise of communist Russia, hmm. giving people a purpose bigger than themselves and the nobility of that. They rise to it. Right. But you can also see the aftermath of death when it's not tethered to a scriptural basis. Mm. And so, so yeah. it's, 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 it's awakening something in people. Mm. Um, the reason I'm doing, or what we're doing, the reason why we're doing it is because we want to unleash what God wants them to do, not simply unleash their potential. Mm. That's good. Wise words. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right, so pertaining, pertaining to millennials or Gen Zers, someone a little bit younger maybe, an upcoming leader, um, what would be maybe one or two just nuggets of truth um, that you've learned either through stories of leadership or just in your experience that you can tell apply no matter where you're at? What's like one or two just core nuggets that if this is all that people heard from this podcast, they could write down a sticky note and it would apply no matter their age? Yeah. Yeah, uh, one of the mentors and leaders that I admire greatly uh, is a man named Paul Stanley, who um, is not any longer mentally able to be to be present in my life, but uh, still just a hero for me in, in leadership. And 
he made a statement uh, many times over the course of our time together for 20 years, but, but just fundamentally, there are two kinds of people in the world. And all of us vacillate from one end of that continuum to the other given the context, but you're gonna stand in one of two places. Are you fundamentally going to be a giver or a taker? Huh. Are you gonna use the resources of your life to bless people? Or are you going to use the resources of your life to rule over Lord and take from them? I love in Braveheart that, that scene when uh, William Wallace is confronting, um, I think it's Robert the Great, or Robert the Bruce, Robert I'm not sure. Bruce, yeah. There you go, okay. <laughs> and he says, he says, you think the people exist so that you can have a position. Hmm. And he goes, I believe that your position exists so that you can serve the people. Wow. And it's one of those highlights of just saying, do you fundamentally believe that as a leader, your role is to give? Or to take. You can look at, a, I mean, I was uh, in a very dark, difficult country a couple of years ago and watched leaders that were rising in positions of power and then amassing huge amounts of wealth and privilege for themselves and those that they cared about. Hmm. And you can contrast that with some brilliant figures from history, certainly from our own, our founding fathers that instead of just using their position to garner for themselves, you look at the signers of the Declaration of Independence, most of them lost massive fortune, families, you know, livelihood, at the expense of creating an environment that uh. would better thousands and millions of other people's lives. Yeah. So I think one of, the, one of the single greatest factors that any of us can consider, weigh, wrestle through when we think of leadership is how do I fundamentally become a leader who uses all available means to do the most good for the mm. most people I possibly can. Wow. Versus the common thought is, how do I rise to power, get what I want, exhaust it on me mm. and those I care about while I turn a, a deaf mm. ear and stiff arm to the mm. rest of the people that are out there. What would, what would inspire, so if, someone's, if someone heard that negative advice and they're saying, okay, I'm in a position of power or influence or authority or leadership or whatever, I wanna use that, but Mm, I'm not really too inspired to like like I, I want to use this selfishly what have you ever had a time in your life where you want you tended towards that and then something switched in you and if so what was that thing what was the thing that 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 made you go oh I, I want to use this to go low I want to use this to serve others or build people up yeah what's the is there a key to that yeah that's a that's a great question I think on a microcosm on a daily basis you know, every single one of us has that, that, that dissonance between what we should do and what we do. Mm. And I think, I think that's, that's part of the human experience. You know, for me, that goes all the way back to the gospel, what's true about human nature and what's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches me to lay down my life. Mm. And when I'm listening and walking in cadence with Him and with Scripture, that becomes a more natural byproduct of the choices I'm making, mm. right? Or natural, those choices are a byproduct of that. So when I am not... Um, I become increasingly selfish. I become increasingly internal. I become increasingly um, wanting to use whatever time, treasure, talent are available for my own needs. And so I think it's a constant war. I think any leader knows that tension of, well, I, I could do this. I could write on this receipt. Um, I could use this expense. I, I could, you know, use this for my own benefit. Every leader knows that tension. Hmm. I think, I think, you have to, if you're saying, how do I get to that place or how do I um, reach that space? I, I know for me that's a massive part of the faith journey mm. because the leader that I follow chose to willingly lay down his life mm. in service for people that he loved. Mm. 
So there's a, there's a foundation for me that shapes what I believe about leadership and influence. Huh. So in terms of how do you get there, if you're, as you said, if you're traveling, high profile, you have your, um, you know, your dashboard of resources in front of you and you're like, man, I really want to live like that. I think the foremost thing that you have to do is get honest. Huh. Look, at, look at the dollars, look at the time, look at the power resources and connection, education. Get honest about the resources that are in front of you and then go through how many of those can be traced back and have a direct benefit to you. Huh. If you can't look at your dashboard of resources, so to speak, and see this one's being exhausted on behalf of these people, this one's being exhausted on behalf of these people, these people are getting my time, these people are getting my best investment of intellectual capacity, these people are getting, if you can't see sacrifices that don't trace back to you, it's a really good gut level honest check. Hmm. Am I using what's in front of me for me? Hmm. And if I am, my dashboard, so to speak, probably indicates that really I'm using it for my position, power, and selfless exhaustion huh. versus on behalf of people. So I think very shortly, you're asking gut level honesty, am I utilizing leadership for me or really trying to use it to serve the people huh. around that I love or that I represent? Mm. You touched on something. You, um, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but one of the things you said, kind of what I was hearing was, the way that you want to lead will be reflected in the leadership that you submit to. Mm. And I think um, what came to my mind is um, in the Bible when Jesus is talking to the centurion and Jesus or the centurion says, I too am a man under authority. Mm. And he had a revelation of leadership through that mm. and what and, what, and the type of authority that Jesus carried. He said, mm. you, I say come, they come. I say go, they go. Yeah. In, in your name, I believe that what you say, it's done. Yeah. So I don't have to see you do some miracle. Yeah. I just believe that the words you speak carry yeah. power. And it reminded me of, um, I, th I think if there are leaders listening here and you say, well, I am like, I don't really submit to anyone because I'm the top dog or whatever. Well, you submit to yourself then. Hmm. You are, you ultimately, I think everyone is made to be a follower of someone, whether that's a superior um, or if you think, no, I don't lead any, I, I don't, I'm not under authority of anyone. Well, then you're under authority of yourself. Mm. And that's fine. But if you're submitted to yourself, that's the highest authority you're going to get. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it sounds like part of what you're saying is it's really important to know what the, whether it's a higher power or uh, a higher spiritual authority or an authority over you, I think that you will begin to reflect the people um, that you are choosing to be led by. Absolutely. That could be yourself too. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but sometimes that's not really thrilling because right. when I look at my life, I'm like, okay, I'm submitting to myself right now and I, I know that I'm not that great. So maybe <laughs> maybe I should see what external leadership I am tying myself to instead of just myself. Yeah. So. Yeah, Chris, I, I think I think whether, whether you're talking about um, great leaders that we admire in history or going all the way back to, you know, maybe AA, Alcoholics Anonymous and, mm -hmm. and you know, first, first, Acknowledgement is that I have to be tethered to a higher authority, hmm. a higher. There is a higher right. power, right? Right, because I can't do it in and of my own. Hmm. And so I think that you know, to your point of you know, you, you could be submitted to yourself. Uh, that's just a pretty short chain of command. Hmm. Right. You're not tapped into a higher source. And obviously, when you talk about the Christian, um, you know, the Christian journey of leadership, there's a clear exhortation that you are not your own. Yeah, you're not the top of the chain. There's a higher authority from which you gain authority in order to execute what matters to him. Huh. And that, again, as you said already, it shapes how you see or what leadership culture you wear, so to speak. Yeah, that's good. Any other uh, maybe fortune cookie sized 
nuggets of truth that you would, uh, if you had a fortune cookie company, you would print that on there so people could learn about leadership? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a number of guys out there that I respect, listen to a lot, uh, follow. Um, I think, I think if I started with fundamentally, you got to get honest with yourself and find out if you're a taker or a giver. I think, uh, maybe following, I, 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 my own father said this to my brother and I when we were young men and um, obviously quoting but he said to thine own self be true and there's this same thing going back to identity there's this connection between who I am is going to determine what I do if I'm duplicit or divergent from what I really believe about who I am then the path that I choose to lead or to attempt to lead people by is going to be curvy and, and, you know, really, really difficult and doesn't make sense and foggy and uh, duplicit. If the path that I am attempting to walk or lead out of is consistent with who I am, that I really believe to be true about who I am, then I'm going to form uh, a long obedience in the same direction. Mm. And when that's true, to thine own self be true and whom you are, and that's submitted to a higher authority, and you understand that what you do flows out of that, I think you have a pretty significant foundation from which to start your leadership journey. Hmm. I was just taking a sip of coffee right when you stopped. <laughs> uh, that's good, very good. Um, all right, final final couple questions. Um, that is, what is one or two of your, sorry, who is one or, one or two of your favorite leaders um, and why? Yeah, great question. I, I think um, in modern history, um, obviously, great leaders are made known in the context of great resistance. Hmm. So some just from you know, the last, last century, um, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, for the purposes of becoming like the people. He set aside privilege and power and became like the people he was attempting to hmm. lead. Obviously, that reverberates for me with the life of Jesus Christ. Hmm. I look at MLK with the uh, civil rights movement in our own country and a refusal to take up violence to fight violence huh. and instead go, I'm gonna to appeal to a higher authority and to a higher power all the way back to you know, language that was used by our founding fathers yeah. and to endure great suffering for the purpose of maintaining consistency with what he really believed to be true about who he was mm-hmm. and the world that God created that he was functioning in. So uh, those, are, those are two significant ones. Obviously there's a number of uh, presidents and, and people that um, you know, I highlight through history that I, that I really often draw on. Their wisdom, Lincoln, is clearly one of those. Um, and then on down to my own, you know, uh, number of years on the planet here, um, I look at guys like my own father. And mm-hmm. as a kid, I, I wondered about some of the tension and struggles that uh, I watched him go through. And now as a grown man, I look back and I realize that uh, he stands uh, perpetually uh, between the onslaught of tyranny and those that are not able to defend themselves. Mm. And so, so I think those, Paul Stanley, I mentioned uh, a little bit ago, that was um, just another man that I admire greatly, both in faith and in leadership. So uh, maybe just to name a few. It's mm. good. All right. Finally, if uh, any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, find out more about who you are, what you do, yeah. find out more about Rev5, what is the best way that they can do that? Yeah, uh, very simply, www.rev5.org. Mm-hmm. Um, you can land there and find out also information about our team, what we do, and uh, why we're here. Awesome. Cool, Joe. Well, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure working with you, and uh, I think that pretty much wraps up episode one. <laughs> thank you, Chris. Pleasure to be here. All right.